welcome again and good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you all in the house of the Lord. It's a blessing to be able to uh, fellowship with you all and to go before God with you. Um, I believe, even though I haven't covered all of them, uh, I'm, I'm feeling led that this is the uh, this will conclude my focus on the fruit of the Spirit uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about the fruit of self-control uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read the fruit of the Spirit. going to give a, uh, a definition I found. It's not my definition, but I, I think it sums it up pretty well. We'll talk about, then we'll go into why it's important, why the fruit of the, why the fruit of self-control is so critically important uh, in our Christian life, in our walk with the Lord. So, <clears throat> as y'all are uh, getting to Galatians chapter 5, 22nd verse, uh, I will uh, say a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity uh, to share your word. Uh, Father, it is a testament to your might, uh, your power, uh, your awesomeness, Father God, that you can take an imperfect vessel and use that imperfect vessel for your glory. I hope that's an encouragement to someone today, Lord, that uh, despite our limitations, the greatness of our God uh, can use us uh, to be a blessing to others. And so we just thank you that you are more than we can ever uh, ask or hope for. You are more than sufficient uh, for us to provide any need that we have and to use us in any capacity that you've called us to. And we give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Um, Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, we've read this several times over uh, the recent weeks, but it lists uh, the nine fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which is what we'll be focusing on today. Against such things, there is no law. And let's look uh, at a definition. Uh, I did not give this to the booth, but I, I will read this. Uh, Self-control in the lexico.com defines it as the ability to control oneself, pretty self-explanatory, to control oneself, in particular, one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. That's a pretty lengthy definition, but, and I'll repeat, the ability to control oneself in particular, one's emotions and desires or the expression of them. The ability to control our, our uh, emotions and desires and the expression of those emotions and desires. 
expressions of them in our behavior, especially in difficult situations. That's when it matters most. Right? That's when it matters most. Self-control. And if you really think about it, how many of the fruit of the Spirit will require self-control in order for us to flow in those things to the glory of God. We've got to make choices. We've got to make daily, we're making multiple decisions to choose whether we're going to walk in the way of the Lord or we're going to allow the flesh to have its say and have its way. Right? We're going to have to have control. The joy of the Lord, we talked about yesterday, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Right? He says, now, if you abide in me, you abide in me by keeping my commandments. And I said it wasn't about love last week. It was about joy, right? But he said, I tell you these things that my joy may be in you and it may be full. So as we choose, if we make decisions for the Lord to walk in a way that is obedient to the Lord and to his glory, that requires some self-control because oftentimes we're in situations that are going to tempt us to act and express our sin, those sinful passions and desires, right? Whether you say right or not, I know it's right. So, so you know, I'll give you the opportunity, but I'm confident in the truth of that, all right? So, But it's important. You know, we've got to choose whether we're going to be kind. Because even in your household of your loved ones, nobody can test you like the people you love the most, right? Every day, you're going to be tempted to walk in the opposite of kindness, right? You've got you to gotta choose kindness, Right? You got to choose patience because every day your patience is going to be tested. It's going to have to be a choice. And what are we going to do? Are we going to obey God in it? Are we going to have some self-control? And so that our expression in response to that is going to be to the glory of God? Or is it going to be to the elevation of our flesh? Peace, joy, love, all these things, man. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness requires some level of self-control. You're going to have to be able to control our emotions and our desires and the expression of those things, especially when we are tested. And you know, I believe that's why uh, the Word of God says that the trying of our faith is more precious than that of pure gold. It's in the testing and the resisting of the, uh, of those things that God is trying to accomplish in our lives and in our hearts. It's in the testing of those things, the resisting of those things, that you can be built up and become stronger and, and to grow in those things. You can't grow without being stretched. You can't grow without being pushed and tested. Those things, that, that's why it's more precious than that of pure gold. Because if it can lead to your growth, then we should celebrate God in that. We should be thankful for those things. And, uh, you know, going on, 
After that definition I've read to you, let's go back to verse 18 through 21 because we've got the fruit of the Spirit, but we also got the works of the flesh. Some of us are more acquainted with these than others. I'll let y'all make up your own minds on this. But if you are led by the Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. So, we're going to need self-control if we're going to stand strong in the Lord and resist all these things that the flesh wants to do. The flesh will give vent to, if not for the Spirit of God at work in us. If not for the the, the, the sanctifying work that God is doing in us. We're either going to pursue God and make a choice, conscious choice, to walk and grow in the Spirit, or we're going to yield ourselves or make ourselves vulnerable to the expressions of the flesh. Or does that make sense to you? And I, again, y'all know, um, I could paraphrase stuff, but I like to let the word speak for itself. I want us to go to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read all of chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses of chapter 2. And I I feel like it kind of gives a visual representation of the two scriptures in Proverbs that I will get into Uh, after uh, reading Nehemiah. The children of Israel had 
gone astray, disobeyed God's word, disobeyed his commandments. And, as a, and, and consequentially, they ended up being overtaken by Babylon and brought into Babylonian captivity. And the city of God was laid waste. Fences destroyed, gates burned, city line ruined for 70 years. The people of God were scattered. And now we come upon a time where the beginning of restoration in Jerusalem, of Jerusalem has happened. And the word of God comes in Nehemiah. Let's start in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the sons of Hakaliah, I have no idea if that's the right way to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with that. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So we see here Nehemiah, uh, uh, Nehemiah <clears throat> is working for the king. He's in the citadel. Life is good for him. But here he is, hundreds of miles away from the ruins of Jerusalem, and yet here he is when, when uh, his brothers, the people of God, come, he can tell his heart, even is, his heart is beyond his situation. His heart is for the people in the city of God. And he asked about this. He asked them about it. How is it going there? And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're, out, though you're outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there... I will gather them and your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. 
Now I was cupbearer to the king. So he's going to go to the king and make an appeal, but he prays to God first. But what he hears about Jerusalem, you know, a city back then had great walls, a fortified walls and gates to protect the city from would-be invaders, from people who would do it harm and the people harm, to protect the valuables in the city. And when Jerusalem had been overcome, the enemy broke, destroyed the walls, and burned down the gates. So this city is defenseless. In the same manner that we are defenseless without self-control. Are you hearing me? They're defenseless. It was a shame to them. They were vulnerable. They were weak. Anybody who wanted to invade them could invade them because there was no, there was no protection. The city of God laid in ruins. You know what? Proverbs 25, 28 says this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The condition of Jerusalem is a perfect example of this. And sometimes our lives are like this. You want to know what, why there's wreckage in our lives? Why we're dealing with a lot of the, 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 the junk and trash that we're dealing with? It's because our walls are down. Our walls are destroyed. Our gates are not up. Because we have lacked the self-control as a security that will keep us Walking in the things that God has called us to walk in, we've we've left our gates open, uh, and our uh, left our gates open to sin. We've left our gates open to expressions of the of the carnal nature and flesh that will be a destruction to our lives. And it comes in, invades, tears down the walls, and 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 just rummages through everything, takes everything of value that we allow it to take. Are you hearing me? The invader will come. Sin will invade your life. And, the, and destruction will surely be the result if we do not have self-control. Continually making choices in our lives that are in faithful obedience to what we know to be true in the word of God. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not... You know, it's not just do the right thing. These things will be life to you. Obeying God has its own protections in that, right? The favor of God is on you. God will fight for you and defend you as you're walking in obedience to him. But when we give ourselves over to those things and expressions of those sinful behaviors and actions and attitudes, all right, then we are opening our city up. We're opening our heart up. We're opening our soul up. We're opening our lives up. We're opening our marriages up. We're opening our families up to be invaded and raided and destroyed by the enemy. 
And he even said in his prayer, he acknowledges that they, uh, that they had sinned. But you know, by contrast, I want to contrast Proverbs 25, verse 28 with Proverbs 16, verse 32. I like the NIV in this one better. It says, better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. Think about that. Now, as men, we love, we love being warriors, right? If there's got to be a contest, if there's got to be a battle, you might as well be on the winning side. We're, we're, we're not trying to take, undertake a battle uh, uh, that's going to lead to loss, right? As much as we like that warrior mentality, the Word of God says it's better to be a patient person than a warrior. Sometimes that warrior spirit makes us or tempts us to push and press, not uh, impatiently push and press and make things happen rather than waiting on direction from the Lord. Rather than going to God and inquiring of him what his plan is and what we ought to do. Uh, you know, we, we don't have self-control. We see a problem. We're desperate. Our emotions get the best of us and we act or react. Are you hearing that? Better a patient person than a warrior, a person with self-control than one who takes a city. I'm going really fast here today. And I've got a series of questions that I'm going to answer uh, when I'm done here. I want to go back to Nehemiah chapter 2. And then I'm going to highlight a few things from both chapters 1 and 2 that I feel are helpful be helpful for us today. Um, Nehemiah went to the king, made an appeal. Uh, the king noticed that he was sad, asked him why he was sad. He said he's in good health, so there's got to be something, a matter of the heart. And he told him he was sad because of the condition of, his, uh, uh, of Jerusalem. He had asked God for favor there favor with the king, and God gave him favor, and the king allowed him to go and begin to rebuild the walls of the city and, and provided him with men and resources to aid in that endeavor. Here is what he does, uh, starting in the 11th verse. Nehemiah says, so I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls 
of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. You know, I started this message off talking about self-control and, and, you know, and how it can benefit us and how it, the lack of it can be a hindrance to us and a destruction, a destructive force in our lives. And I'll just let the Spirit of God speak to you where you're seated now. As to how that sits with you. You know, areas of how you've benefited in areas where you have discipline, self-control, where you've allowed God to rule in your hearts and, and in those facets of the life. And contrast that with those areas in which God does not, has not been allowed to rule that have not been submitted to him, that you've not had self-control in, and what the fruit of that has been in your life. I can't speak directly into everyone's life concerning that. I don't know the issues that you are struggling with, but God does, and you do, right? And so I'm just going to let the word of God speak to you and let the spirit of God deal with you where you're at. Um, but there is a message of hope in this. Notice, we started off in chapter 1. Notice uh, uh, Nehemiah's prayer. He starts off acknowledging the condition, the broken, ruined, destruct, uh, destructive existence of Jerusalem. And I want to go back over his prayer and see what he acknowledges because prayer is going to be important for you if you're going to, if you, if you realize that your walls are broken and your gates have been burned in certain areas of your life, it begs the question, what do I do? Having found myself in this position and having to acknowledge that this is the condition that I am in, the question before us is what do I do before God? How do I change this? How do I look over the rubble and the, 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 the ruinous condition of this area of my life and begin that process of change to the glory of God? And during worship, 
I believe it was Emily that mentioned that God has really been speaking to her, emphasizing prayer and how important prayer is. You know, pr prayer is vitally important. Not just that we pray, but the content of our prayer. The, what, what, what's the heart of it? What are we communicating with God? What are we acknowledging? What are we proclaiming? Okay? And so we're going to have to acknowledge certain realities. We're going to have to own up to our own part in, those, in that place. We can't point fingers and put the blame outside of us. We're going to have to go before God and own our part in things. You know, so prayer, going before God, going before God, open, honest, raw, real, and just acknowledging the situation and what you've done to contribute getting yourself in that situation. All right? And so that's what he does. Uh, 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 let's go uh, back uh, to chapter 1. What does he say? He said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he's, he's extolling God. He's exalting God. God, I'm looking over these ruins, and if I just looked at those ruins in, a, uh, in, in the bubble of my own thoughts, I could look at this and be critical of you. I can let this situation... I can let these, the ruins of my life lie to me and, and, and let those define you to me. I could go there and say that you're not a good God. At least you haven't been a good God to me. But what does he do? He starts off recognizing the goodness of God. and He, he addresses God, oh, Lord God of heaven. Okay, even in this situation that I'm in, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant. What happens here is not a result of you not keeping covenant with me. You are a covenant-keeping God, all right? So, so we're going to declare the truth about God in our prayer, okay? I'm, I'm struggling here in some areas, and I might feel a certain way, but my emotions, if they, if they don't exalt you, God, then my emotions are lying. If, my, if they don't exalt you and, 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 and declare that you are who you are, then my thoughts are lying. So I, I'm going to proclaim you for the, uh, the God and the attributes that you have. I'm going to proclaim it in truth. And we're talking about how we're approaching God, how we're praying, God, how we're praying to God, how we're going to get things turned around and begin to build the walls up in our lives that have been laid waste in the gates that have been burned down. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is not on you. This is on me. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. So he's diligent in prayer. I'm praying day and night. I'm, I, I, I'm diligent before you. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to quit in this. I'm going to persist in prayer to you. And I'm going to start every prayer with how great and awesome and amazing and how faithful you are and how much you love us and how much you're for us. That, that's the one thing that's going to be a consistent part of my prayer. 
Because you're God, you don't change. Let your ear be attentive. And confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. There's an acknowledgement here. I'm confessing how we got here. Okay, we got here in this ruined condition by not obeying your commandments. By not, by choosing not to go the way of the Lord. That's what got me here. And I'm going to acknowledge that before you, Lord. This isn't, this isn't a result of you being less than you ought to be to me. This is a result of my choices. And not just his choices, but he's saying the nation of Israel. We, we've made some choices that were against the covenant that you made with Moses, right? And so, and we continue to make those choices. And uh, you had grace toward us. You had mercy toward us. You sent people to warn us. You tried in your loving patience, you and in, in your great mercy, you tried to steer us in the right direction. And time after time after time, we dismissed it and went our own way. I'm confessing that to you, God. What we've done. As a matter of fact, you didn't do wrong by us. We sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. I'm not just going to generically do this thing. Me and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So, again, it's a full-throated confession. There is no, you know, there's no half measures here. First John 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? God, God is not an I told you so God. He's not, he's not a rub your face in it God. He, he, he knows what our situation is. But, but he expects of us to, 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 to own up to our own issues. And to love him enough to confess. To admit to him. Confess to him. God we've wronged you here. I repeatedly chose my flesh. I repeatedly chose not to go your way, and this is and, and as a result, I am where I am today. But what does he then do after that confession? He goes on and he says, Remember the word. This is what he's saying to God. God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return. Hallelujah. So there is, hey, there will be consequences, but if you return, make no mistake about it. My heart has never stopped being toward you. My, my, my love has never ceased toward you. If you return. Everybody say, but if you return. Hallelujah. So remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me 
and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there, wherever you are, from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. That's, that's also a part of the promise. Yeah, I will deal with you if you walk in disobedience, but if you turn, my promise still stands, right? My promise still stands. And he goes on to say, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. I want you to say, I, I want to, to me, it's amazing how God pops each, each little verse into my mind. What is that? Notice here, they have been disobedient, haven't they? That's why they were brought low and uh, uh, taken into Babylonian captivity. And yet in this prayer, he still acknowledges that they are people that God has redeemed. I want to encourage you with that this morning. You may have made choices that have gotten you in uh, destructive, it's, it's ruined your life in some way. And you may be tempted to self-condemn. You may be tempted to wallow in that and, and start to believe those lies about how God feels about you and, 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 and that he's not willing to tolerate you anymore. He's fed up with you and all that other stuff. I just want you to know those are lies. Okay? You, you, might, you might question whether or not you're still among the redeemed. But I will say to you, what does the gospel say? All right? Remember, it's not of works. It's by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So our salvation is a gift from God. We couldn't earn it, all right? So we can't earn the keeping of it, all right? It was earned by Jesus on the cross. So it gets down to this. What you believe concerning Jesus, what does Romans 10, 9, and 10 say, all right? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, you what? Shall be? Saved. Salvation is a gift that can only be received by grace through faith. So even on your worst day, you are still among the redeemed. You're still the redeemed of the Lord. You've got to get some things right. You've got business to do with God. But, you know, that remains a truth but let's not allow one thing to poison our perspective about the other. The issue of our salvation before God, the, the, the surety of that, that blessed assurance of God's salvation can't be called into question. Are you hearing me? So God, is see, God sees you as the redeemed. He's going to deal with you as the redeemed. He's going to deal with you as his son and daughter. If you know him, if you've given God, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've made him Lord and Savior of your life, you belong to him. And no one can pluck you out of his hands. Are you hearing that? So even in their terrible state, he still acknowledges before God, there are your servants and your people. We screwed up. We did. We made choices that repeatedly spat in your face disobedient choices that led to these consequences 
However, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear in your name. God is not a, you know, God is not one to hold grudges. As I've said before, and you'll find me repeating uh, things quite a bit over, uh, over multiple weeks, but as I said before, if he, was a, if he was prone to holding grudges, one of the thieves that were crucified beside Jesus wouldn't have been with him in paradise at the end of that day. Because both started mocking him and mocked him for hours. One of them repented and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus didn't hold a grudge. He didn't say, what about, oh, really? what about all those things you said about me up to this point now that your death is drawn nearer and and it's inevitable now you want now you want to come to me no he just said truly i'd say to you today you'll be with me in paradise and that was a guilty man who deserved what he was getting you're right he earned that punishment jesus was the only one hanging on the cross that didn't deserve to be there and not only that, I mean, I mean, he was beaten beyond recognition. His, his flesh was torn by the cat and nine tails. He had been spat on. He had been mocked. He had been stripped of his garments. And yet, he still said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Think about that. The degradation, the pain, the suffering, the death, the very ones who slayed him, he's still praying the Father to forgive them. He still regards them with love and compassion. How would he not do the same with us? If we would but turn to him, acknowledge what he already knows, own up to our part in it. Remember that he is good. He has not let us down. He's not betrayed us. He has not been unfaithful. It is us who have missed the mark. Yet, his love for us remains. And so he prays and gives success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he says he was a cupbearer to the king. Now, I want to finish doing the same thing in uh, chapter 2, the 11th verse through the 18th verse that I just did in chapter 1. Because there's still more stuff there. So, but prayer. If prayer is not a consistent and discipline, uh, a consistent discipline in your life, all right, then that's where you need to start. It's going to have to become, you need to grow in that. It's not a work that earns salvation. It's a necessity in order for you to grow in the things of God and for you to get those areas in your life that you're struggling in to begin that turning around. You're going to have to pray to God. And you're going to have to do the things that Nehemiah does here. God, you're great. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You are a covenant keeper. You're faithful. You've never let me down. You've been, you are good to me 
even when the stuff that's happened to me hasn't been good. Uh, one of the things that Heather and Johnny do in, uh, in, in, in counseling, when they counsel people, uh, I love that. They talk about, you know, it may not have felt like God was in there in your story. All right. But, but, but let's look back now and see where God was in the story because he was there. You, you remember the story as though God was an absentee father. All right. Now, let's reflect back and really consider where, based on where we've come, where we are now, you've gotten to this point where we feel like you're ready to go back to that moment and see in what way God was there. Because the belief that he wasn't is not truth. It's not rooted in truth. So now let's look at that moment in light of that truth. And we may see that while God didn't take you out of that situation, he, he may have been, he, he helped you bear it in that situation. He got you through it in some way. And so let's remember that. That's part of the healing process is, 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 is renewing our mind according to God's truth, not our feelings and our memories of that situation that were not rooted in truth. Does that make sense? So when we're praying, we're acknowledging the goodness of God. We're owning the choices that we made and that these consequences that we are enduring are a result of choices that either we made, uh, that may be a combination of choices we made in those whose authority we're under or who are in, we're in relationship made as well. It may not be all you, but you can, you can very well own up to the part that is you. Don't use as an excuse others' failings. You know, don't let others' failings be used as an excuse by you for your own. Own your failings. And so, so I went to Jerusalem. He was there three days. Notice he didn't, I want to point this out because I hadn't seen this in this before. He was there three days. Notice he, did, he went there with purpose and vision from God. He knew he was going to rebuild the walls and the gates, right? But he didn't go there and engage in immediate action. He didn't hear God and just, and, and just formulate his own idea and go and start stuff. What does he do? Let, let, let's really look at what he did here. He went to Jerusalem. He was there three days, hadn't done a thing. Then I arose in the night. I assume on that third day, he arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So he's there on a mission from God. He's there with the purpose. He's going to rebuild the city, but he didn't tell anybody what God had put in his heart yet. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. So I believe he went out by night because he wanted to make sure he was doing this solo. He did not want eyes on him. Before he said anything to anyone, he went out, dragon spring to the dung gate, and I expected, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. 
Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So I, I think it's important what he's done here. Sometimes we come up with plans and ideas about how we're going to tackle something. But we haven't taken the necessary time to assess and evaluate to see if we have a true and full picture of what we're dealing with. He knew already that the walls were broken down and that the gates were burned down. He knew that. And he knew he was there for a purpose, but he, he took time to get a lay of the land. He wanted to know exactly what the conditions were, what he was dealing with, what the terrain was, and all this other stuff. Because it, it had been in this condition for 70 years. He'd never been there. He didn't grow up there. Which is all the more amazing that his heart was broken so much toward it. <laughs> it's not like there were memories there from his childhood. It's not like that, it's not like that there were these enduring uh, moments that, that, that caused his heart to, to, to melt for the condition of it. This was a thing that he knew that this was, these are the people of God. This is the place of God. This, this, this is not right. God, I believe God put that in his heart that he wept for that city. He fasted. He wept. He fasted. He prayed for them. But before he said a word or did a thing, he got the full measure of what the problem was. Up close and personal. Inspected it in detail. I think it's important for us to learn from that because, you know, sometimes, and we may need help doing this, uh, you know, Scripture encourages us to, to you know, to, to really self-evaluate from time to time. Make sure that the direction we're taking and, and, and our heart attitudes and, and, and the things that are coming out of our mouth and, and, and our conduct in our lives are according to the way of the Lord. So prayer, and I believe intimate, detailed inspection and assessment of what the real problem is. Getting up close and personal and just being raw and real and honest about it. It, it, it's, it's painful to get a close and up close and personal look at the ruined walls and burned down gates of our lives. Be so much easier to deal with those things from a distance. But, you know, I believe God would have us to bring him to that place. Go into that place of pain and hurt and and sorrow and regret um, go into those ruined walled areas walk with him through it and look at every brick every wrecked stone every crack 
every burned down gate. And as you do, God, God does multiple things. It, there, there, there's, a, there's a salve. There is a, uh, uh, a healing process that begins to take place as we give voice to those ruins. As we give voice to that whole situation. We have an open and honest look. Everything is laid bare. How many even know there is peace in not having to hide stuff anymore? Not having to wonder, oh, what would such and such think about me if they knew the real me and what I'm really dealing with and what I'm really struggling with. Those, you know, those thoughts that imprison us, right? It's so freeing to really get into that and to really open up about that and say, you know what? It's laid bare. It, it's, it, my life in this area is a ruined heap. I need help. There's something liberating in that, just acknowledging that and admitting that and allowing someone to walk with you through it uh, by God's grace and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. uh, Those ruined places can be rebuilt. So he takes stock of it first. And then it says he returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So all these people were going to do the work. He hadn't told them anything yet. Then I said to them, you see, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins when its gates burned, with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Uh, You know, there's so much good there. so much more. Uh, if you haven't uh, read that story, I would continue. I would encourage you to read uh, the conclusion of that. Uh, uh, there came a point when uh, the king and others decided they wanted to try and obstruct and prevent this from happening. Um, and Nehemiah led the people in the continued building of the walls and the gates. And he became, he showed himself to be a great leader. And I didn't uh, emphasize this in my notes, and that probably was an error on my part. But because I feel like now thinking back on it, this would have been a great uh, mental picture given the, uh, the contrast of the two proverb verses. Um. At, at, at one point, in order to fight off the impending attack of the enemy to prevent the walls from being built. Nehemiah had his people, they were building with one hand and had swords in the other. I think that's a perfect visual illustration 
uh, of, of what we're doing is self-control as we're managing our uh, our choices, managing our emotions, our thoughts. We're going to have the sword in one hand, all right? And we're going to be having to keep building up the wall with the other. You know? Um, so I just want to encourage you today in the Lord. Your... Uh, Where you're at right now, whatever your situation is, where you're at right now, I know you're probably reflecting back and you're thinking about all the choices that you wish you had back. And it may feel like a punch in the gut and, 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 and you may be all over yourself right now in your thoughts. I want to make sure that if anything, there is conviction not condemnation. Because that's what God wants here, conviction. Conviction that leads to uh, uh, repentance, right? And the favor of God. And y'all look blurry, so I'm putting my glasses back on. That's the objective here. The objective here is not for you to feel guilty the, the, and, and condemned. The objective here is for our hearts to be convicted and turn, right? Uh, turn and receive the favor of God that is always available to us. Amen? Okay? Your walls can be rebuilt. But it's going to have to be done under the guidance and direction of God. Amen? Like the children of Israel, everything was well until they decided to get out from under the guidance and direction of God, and their choices eventually led to Babylonian captivity. But when they turned to God, they rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt the gates. Despite, despite the enemy's attempts to prevent it. That included an enemy that overtook them and once held them captive. Once they were in lockstep with God, could not prevent the work of God in their lives. Are you hearing that? All right. Once we get in lockstep with God, nothing can prevent the will of God and the work of God in our lives. Nothing. We're going to have to master, to grow to be able to master the ability to manage or have self-control where we are simultaneously building a wall and going forward with God and resisting and, 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 and cutting up the flesh <laughs> that would want to rise up and to divert us away from the path that God wants us on. That's the importance of self-control. Um, uh, and I, I believe that's why that's uh, that's kind of where God wants me to conclude that. It's like all these other fruits, they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. You know, how are we going to do these things? Well, we're going to have to have self-control uh, because the flesh isn't going anywhere until that great day when Jesus returns and we and we'll, and, and we're at that point become like him. We got to deal with this thing called flesh. Right. But 
We have been redeemed from the bondage of sin and death. We, the flesh does not have dominion over us. So we've got a choice. In every situation, you've got a choice. And, and, and the bottom line of it, it's not an oversimplification. The choice will be, am I going to obey God, God's word? Am I going to obey him where he wants me to go? Or am I going to do the things of the flesh? Someone upsets me. I've got a choice. Someone offends me. I've got a choice. Am I going to respond in obedience to God in a way that will glorify him? Or or am I going to react in a way that glorifies the flesh? And you do that enough times, you do that enough times, you do that enough times, and eventually you get the results. The, the, uh, the results. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you all to stand. So what do we do? I, I, I hope uh, we didn't get into a 10-part plan and all this other stuff that to, 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 to really give you uh, a major how-to list. I just really believe in encouraging you to let God be God in your life. To be obedient to what God's word says. He says, take these things to him. Whatever your anxieties are, whatever your worries are, take them to him in prayer and supplication. Right? He tells us to come before the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy to find grace that will help in the time of need. Prayer. Right? Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Notice this, seek first. He's talking to Johnny briefly before the service, and uh, in somewhere in that conversation, I was reminded of Mary and Martha. Jesus shows up in their dwelling at Bethany. Martha's got all these things that are needful things to be done. She's working. Mary's over there at Jesus' feet. To her, Mary was slacking. And she was doing all that stuff herself. And she goes to Jesus and says, hey, won't you tell Mary to get off her butt and help? He says, Martha, you're concerned about many things, <laughs> you know. You know, he didn't say, you know, he didn't really condemn her. He said, you, you're concerned about many things. All those things may be needful things to do, but, 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 but Mary has chosen that thing that is more important, right? There, there can be a lot of needful things in your life, but none of them are more important than getting at the feet of Jesus. Going before God, communing with him, bearing your heart and soul to him, entrusting him with everything, every facet of your life, taking everything to him in prayer, and inclining your ear to hear what he would have you do. Are you hearing me?
There's a lot of important things in your life, but there's one crucial thing that has to override them, and that is your quiet time, your time that you spend with the Lord, your, you, you know, finding that, finding those quiet moments, those quiet places where it's just you and God, and that becomes like your sanctum. You know, you're going to go to God on a regular basis, not just when you're in trouble and strife, but you're going to build a discipline in your life that you're going to go before God in prayer daily. And in your prayer, invite God. Say, you know what? Pastor Cornell said that I've got to have self-control. I've seen now that the lack of self-control has wrought certain disastrous outcomes in my life. I probably have taken some measure of blame or some measure of accountability, but, you know, I've been focused on the more on the contributions of other people uh, toward my current plight. I want to make sure that God knows I'm not the only one. I I want you to know that person or those people, they played a part in this. God just wants us to go before him just as his son or daughter and him. Say, God, I'm bringing this situation to you. This situation is beyond me. But I know it's not beyond you. I know you're not to blame because you are good. You're always good. I got myself here. But I'm before you, God, with a heart of repentance. I'm confessing what I did. I'm confessing that I got myself here. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting this whole thing with you because I know that once I've returned, I'm back in your favor. I'm back on the direction that you have marked out for me. And now that I'm, and once I'm on that path, there is not a force in heaven or earth that can prevent the plan of God from happening for me. So I'm just I, I, I confess my, my sin, what I've contributed to it, Father, and I do it in faith because your word says you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I thank you for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if that's you, I just want you, I, I, I want to say that verse, and I want to let that verse be a prayer. And if that's you, I, I just, in any way, I want you to repeat that. Repeat that with me, you know, or repeat that after me, you know, because it says if we confess our sins. Father God, I confess my sin. I confess my sin in faith, believing your word, that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I just want you to, I I want you to believe that. You've confessed your sin before God. 
He's faithful and just to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. Okay? We're returning. You're returning to God in those areas. And and I uh, I want you to let that be a, 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 a strong commitment that you commit to doing that. Every day, assess that. Confess it. Give it to God. And make a decision, a choice, that you're not going to succumb to that anymore. That we're going to, we're, I'm confessing the sins that I've done, but I'm making a choice going forward. That I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm going to obey God in this. I'm going to honor God and do things his way. Are you hearing me? And as you do that, God will give you direction. He'll give you vision. He will, he will light the way forward on, 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 on how, uh, how you can begin to build those walls up again. That will be a protection from the temptations and the darts that that, that the enemy tries to uh, uh, fire your way. Father God, we thank you for your word, uh, which exhorts us and challenges us and encourages us, Lord. Uh, Father God, I uh, I pray that the uh, that the word was. Uh, delivered and, and received in a, in a way that's going to transform lives, Father God, to your glory. In Jesus' name.